Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, friends. As uh, thanks, Jay. What's the matter? As Jay alluded to, we are we're doing, or I think it was Dan actually, we're doing communion this morning. So our study is going to be uh, a little briefer, more brief. I'm not sure what the proper term is. Uh, than than typical, but we are going to continue in the book of Matthew. So if you would please turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Matthew. We left off in chapter 7. We'll spend some time considering a few verses in chapter 7, and then we will take the rest of our time just meditating on the death and resurrection of Christ. So Matthew chapter 7. Let me pray for our time while you're turning there. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to dig into the Word, and we pray your blessing now on our time together. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, you'd draw us to your presence. Father, I just want to pray particularly, sometimes when we're familiar with a passage, we can, we can miss the opportunity for it to allow it to impact us, because we have just sort of this sense of, yeah, I know what that says. And, and Lord, we don't want to do that. We want to come to your word each time in a way that is fresh, Lord. We know that your word is living and active, and and so, Lord, we want to have hearts, soil, so to speak, that is just ready to, see, to receive the seed planted in so that much fruit can be born. So this morning, that's exactly what we're praying, Lord, that you would anoint this time and bless it, speak to our hearts, and draw us to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, Matthew 7, if you've been with us, you're like, yeah, you say that every week. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is our seventh study now in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, which began in chapter 5. And it was in chapter 6 that Jesus emphasized this idea of, be, of the importance of being in right relationship with God. And he spent his time in chapter 6 focusing on the inward attitude of our heart as opposed to kind of that outward behavior that people see. And so Jesus spent time saying, you know, when you fast, fast in such a way that nobody knows that you're fasting. He said, when you give, give in such a way your hand, the one hand doesn't even know what the other hand is doing. And then he said, another example, when you pray, pray in such a way that it doesn't draw attention to yourself, but to, one, to the one that you're actually praying to. And Jesus kind of wraps up that idea, and he says, you do that, in each of those cases, you do that, and your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you, he speaks of there in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. So chapter 6 Jesus is dealing with the condition of our relationship with God. Now, as we come to chapter 7, Jesus is going to deal with the condition of our relationship with our fellow man that is around us. And I I think that the order is very, very important there because the condition of your relationship or the relationship that you have with others is directly impacted by the status of your relationship with God. And it's people that are seeking to be in right relationship with God, people that are seeking to be in right relationship with God, are better, or at least they are becoming better, husbands and wives and employees and children and co-workers and so on. And the one naturally impacts the other. And so Jesus has addressed our relationship with the Father that's in heaven, and now he's going to address our relationship with those that we interact with here on the earth. And so let's look at the first few verses of chapter 7. Starting at verse 1, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? 
Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log that is in yours? You're a hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. Well, I think there's two important points here that have to be made about this very often quoted section of Scripture, judge not lest you be judged. The first thing is this, that Jesus is dealing with and he's addressing our tendency to judge ourselves by the wrong standard. So we say things like, well, I fast two times a week. You fast once a week, so I must be more spiritual. You see, I'm judging myself according to her. I give 10% of my income. You only give 5% of your income. Therefore, I must be more spiritual. And the problem with that sort of judgment is that the person that is doing that is comparing themselves according to the wrong standard. So if you want to compare yourself to someone to establish your righteousness, then the person that you need to compare yourself is to Jesus. And so, are you as forgiving as Jesus? Any of you said yes? <laughs> are you as gracious as Jesus is? Are you as self-sacrificing as Jesus? If you want to compare yourself, compare yourself to Jesus. Comparing yourself with others to establish your righteousness before God, it just doesn't work. There's a parable that's recorded. It's in Luke chapter 18. And it's where Jesus tells of two men that went up to the temple to pray. It's a relatively brief parable. Let me read it to you. It says, Now he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt because of that. Two men, he said, went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Clearly, Jesus is condemning that sort of thinking that compares oneself to another and justifies oneself based on others. And so that's the first thing that Jesus is addressing in this statement. When he says, judge not, that you be not judged, he's dealing with our tendency to measure ourselves by the wrong standard. Now the second thing I think that Jesus is addressing in the verse is the tendency of the person to judge themselves by no standard and to require that others do likewise. Judge not, lest you be judged. You've heard the, 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 verse, the phrase of the verse perhaps quoted. It's perhaps one of the frequently most quoted passages of the Bible of those that are not familiar with the Bible. They know that verse, though. They say, you know, I may not know much about what the Bible says, but I know it says that you're not supposed to judge me. And the thinking is that Jesus, in this, these words, is commanding unquestioned acceptance of all sin and all lifestyles and all false teachings. And so they'll throw out the verse, don't judge me. Don't criticize me. Don't say that what I'm doing is sinful. And that's not what Jesus is seeking to communicate. Now, you take the, ver the phrase out of context, and one could draw the conclusion. But even in the context of, the of this passage here, 
the next couple of verses, Jesus is making it clear that he's not attempting to communicate that we need to accept all manner of sin or false teaching without offering any kind of judgment. That's not the point that Jesus is making. Look even in the context. Look at verse 5. I read it, but I'll say it again. He calls a person a hypocrite, saying, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. You see, there's a judgment in there. There's an acknowledgment that a person has something in their eye that has to be dealt with. Verse 15, a little later, he says, Beware of false prophets who come, into, who come to you, I should say, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Obviously, if you are going to be labeled or labeling people as false prophets, some measure of judgment will need to be made to determine that that is the case. So Jesus' command, judge not lest, you not lest you be judged, is not saying that a disciple of Christ should not exercise discernment when they deal with other people. And what I mean by that is distinguishing good from evil. But what they must do is what they must avoid. Here's Jesus' point. You must avoid passing con- condemnation against others. So this statement, judge not lest you be judged, one of the key parts of it is not passing condemnation against others. It's not your job, Christian, to determine who will go to heaven and who will go to hell. How do you know or whether or not God is going to bring repentance into the heart of a person? You don't know that. And so you can't make a decision as to whether that person is going to go to heaven or hell and write them off because you don't know what God's going to do in that person's heart. And so the first point here, don't pass condemnation. Secondly, Jesus' point in saying this phrase, judge not lest you be judged, is to guard us from determining another person's motives or dealing with another person hypercritically. Because again, how do you know the motivation of another person's heart? And how do you know that what they're doing, what they're doing only so that they could be seen by other people? You don't know that. And so again, judge not lest you be judged. Jesus is saying it's not your job to judge another person's motives. Rather, rather than immediately thinking ill of another person's motivations, the Apostle Paul tells us, if you've been to a wedding, anybody been to a wedding in the last hundred years? Some of you there? You've heard the, the Bible passage probably read, you know, love is patient, kind, and all that stuff. It goes on there. Well, it's in that passage that Paul says, love hopes all things. Some versions translate it something like this. Loves thinks, love thinks well of others. Love ascribes to others right intentions. So rather than immediately judging a person and concluding, well, they only do that so that other people will think they're spiritual. Rather than immediately judging a person, we instead think, well, you know what? That guy's a good guy who really wants to see Christ honored. We don't judge other people's motives. The Bible says a lot of things about judging. We read in John chapter 7 and James chapter 2 that we are not to judge another person's appearance. In the passage in James, it talks about rich people and poor people and showing honor to the rich and and dishonor to the poor and so on. But maybe let's put it in a different perspective. So a 50-year-old guy pulls up driving a new two-seat convertible. What do you conclude? Midlife crisis. Mm. Poor fellow's going through a midlife crisis. And then you judge him. If he was more spiritual, he wouldn't be going through a midlife crisis. Now, if there's anybody here, by the way, that has the two-seat convertible, it has nothing to do with you. You know, so we judge the person and say they're, they're unspiritual. They're going through some things here. Maybe God will get a hold of their heart again. 
or something. But you know what? Maybe somebody gave him that vehicle because his 12-year-old Toyota Corolla you know, kicked the bucket finally. And he's been praising the Lord that God's been so good. He gave him a vehicle. I didn't know what I was going to do. And God gave me this vehicle and so on. And we've judged that person's appearance. It says in Romans chapter 14 that we are not to judge other people's convictions. Now in the instance there of Romans 14, it talks about those that eat meat and those that don't eat meat. I don't understand those people. But those that eat meat and those that don't eat meat. And, And the point there is how do you know whether God told them to or not to, eat meat or not eat meat. It's none of your business. Stay out of it, is the point that Paul makes there in Romans chapter 14. Finally, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that we are not to judge another person's ministry. Now, we can judge the fruit of another person's ministry. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure we're going to do this when we move to Matthew 7, I think it's verse 15, which talks about false prophets. I'm going to take some time to judge other people's ministries. And I think it's time that we we look at the people that we allow to influence us in the so-called Christian world. But in the context of Romans, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 4, Paul tells us not to judge another person's ministry. God is the one that will ultimately weigh those things out, not you. So now, without a doubt, there's a legitimate place for judgment regarding the conduct and the teaching of others. We are called to make decisions that discriminate between good and evil. And as believers, we're called to make the decisions that discriminate between good and what's better. We're called to do that. And so we we do have to make decisions. We we do have to make judgments. But that's not what Jesus is referring to here. Here, he's addressing this idea of being hypercritical and self-righteous in our judgment. A judgment that sets ourselves up as better than another and the arbiter of another. That's what Jesus is speaking of when he says, judge not lest you be judged. Now he continues in verse 2 and he says, because with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged and with the measure that you use, it will be measured toward you or against you. Now again, we said this two weeks ago, Jesus is not something like this. He's not suggesting that whether or not we get into heaven or we go to hell is based on whether we have judged someone or not. You may recall when I mentioned it back then, nobody gets into heaven, no one is kept out of heaven based on any other measure, but according to what they have done with the gift of salvation that is offered through Jesus in the work of Christ on the cross. That's the determining factor of salvation. And so Jesus' point here when he says you will be judged with the measure that you use is to point out that the measure that you use to judge others is going to be used to judge you. So if you are hypocritical of others, hypercritical of others, don't be surprised to find others being hypercritical of you. If you're quick to ascribe wrong motivations to others, don't be called off guard when you discover that everyone ascribes wrong motivations to you. The measure that you use is going to come back at you. Now additionally, when you judge and condemn others for a particular action, your judgment has demonstrated that you know and that you agree that such action is wrong. So be careful then to commit, not to commit that action yourself. Because by your very own words, you will be condemned. The Apostle Paul, he wrote this. This is in Romans 2. He says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? 
You know, so we say, but God, I didn't know. And it's as if God would respond, sure you did. Don't you remember that time that you castigated that other fellow for doing the exact same thing? You knew. You see, that which you judge will come right back on you as well. So we need to be careful with that. Now, I find it interesting. How much worse my sin always looks on somebody else. You find that too? You experience that as well? So when other people wrong me, my thoughts are, sometimes my words are, I can't believe how rude and insensitive and selfish that person is. But when I do it, I say something like, well, you know, I've got a lot on my mind right now. You know, and I make up an excuse for myself. My sin always looks worse on others. It was about 1000 BC that the prophet Nathan showed up at the front door of the king of Israel's palace and he said to him, King David, I'd like to tell you a story. The prophet went, then went on to explain how there was a rich man that owned lots of land and lots of property and lots of cattle. And one day a visitor came to the rich man's house and according to custom, the rich man was obligated to prepare a meal for this traveler, which was the last thing that he wanted to do. And so rather than taking one of the thousands of sheep that he owned, he instead went next door to his neighbor's home and he took the one little ewe lamb that the man had possessed. And it was that lamb that the rich man prepared as a meal for the traveler. Now, with Nathan barely finished the story, I imagine standing on the front steps of the guys of David's house, the passage says that David's anger was greatly kindled, leading him to declare this. David said this, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. It's then that Nathan reveals the real reason he came and told a story to David. And he said to David, he said, David, you're the man. You see, King David was the possessor of many flocks, so to speak. It's a nice way of saying wives. And despite that, David went and took another man's wife and lay with her as his own. And then he concocted all sorts of schemes, including even having the woman's husband murdered to cover it up. You know, it's interesting how David could pronounce capital punishment on a guy for taking another man's lamb and yet ignore his much worse sin of adultery and murder. You know, so our sin looks so much worse on others, doesn't it? Just remember this, the measure by which you judge is the measure by which you yourself will be judged. Do you want some grace? Then show some grace to people. You want some mercy? Then be merciful yourself. Well, to illustrate the hypocrisy, Jesus says, I believe it's verse 3, He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? This is Matthew 7. But do not notice the log that is in your own. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. Now obviously Jesus is speaking here in hyperbole to make his point clearly. A person's not going to be able to walk around with a two-by-four hanging out of their eye. His point though is this. His point is the epitome of hypocrisy is to notice the little bit of sawdust that your friend has in their eye when all the while you have a two-by-four sticking out of yours. And you know what, even if you did, let's say you do have this two by four, and you did want to go help get the speck out of the guy's eye, every time you got close enough to the guy, 
You're going to hit them with the two by four. You're not going to help in any way. So what are we saying then? What's Jesus saying? Can we never help someone remove a speck? And when I say speck, we're talking about sin in our lives and in their lives. Can we never help a person remove a speck from their eye? I don't think that's what we're saying because notice what Jesus says in verse 5. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will be able to see clearly to help your brother remove the speck from his. His point is not that you shouldn't help out your brother. His point isn't, well, you know what? Everybody do their own thing. I don't want to be judgmental or anything like that. That's not the point that Jesus is making. His point here is first, search out your own heart and deal with that area of your sin in your own life. Then you'll be able to see clearly. And I think even more importantly, then you'll be able to approach in humility. Then you'll be able to proceed with mercy because you've been there. You know how painful a speck of dust can be in your eye. You know the peace and, the, um, and joy when it is removed. But it's the self-righteous hypocrite that's able to see the minute speck in somebody else's life, but they're missing the gigantic sin that is there in their own. And so, again, it's a good thing to help your brother remove the speck in his own eye, but not before first dealing with the plank that is in your own. Now let me make one more point about this. Does this mean that we have to be perfect? Does this mean that before we can approach a brother or sister in the faith and say something like, hey man, I noticed this speck in your eye. Let me help you get that out there. Before we can do that, does that mean we have to be perfect? I would say no, that's not what it means. Jesus' point is integrity and humility. So are you seeking to walk in right relationship with God? Are you humbly confident that as far as you know, you're not ignoring an area of sin in your life. And if that is the case, well then in humility, you can go to your brother and you can go to your sister and say, look, I'm coming to you in love. And I want to share with you some things that I've noticed and some things that God has done in my heart and I believe He wants to do in your life as well. But you come in humility. The psalmist, he said this as he was, this is David, as he was repenting. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. He's confessing his sin. But then notice a verse or two later, he says, and then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. He confesses his sin first and then he goes and he helps others in their spiritual journey as well. Let God do a cleansing work in you and then let him use you to do a cleansing work in others. Now let's look at the last verse for today, verse 6. It says, and do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw pearl, your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Now most of us here love dogs. Some of us a little weirder cats we like. All right, but just kidding, cats are interesting. But most of us love dogs here, and so we picture this idea here about giving dogs what is holy. You know, we think of our dog at home. Maybe not Umwa. I know that they don't like their dog. He's a little trouble. But I think of my dog, uh, Zoe. I think of my dog, Clancy. I wish we had a picture to put up of Zoe because she's a cute little dog, although she's annoying at times. But she's a cute dog. And that's what we picture. But Jesus, when he says dogs here, he's referring to wild, ravenous scavengers. He's talking about menaces to the flock. For those of you that have been in Ewing for any length of time, I grew up here in Ewing, so as a young kid, we had a wild dog problem here in the township of Ewing. No, I'm not. You think it's funny. It's not funny. 
Stop laughing. I'm serious. So these dogs, they would go all over. I'm sure some of you that have been around, they would attack. Um, I had a buddy, his dog was out, you know, going to the bathroom at lunchtime. Wild dogs came and killed it. Uh, it was crazy. When we moved into this facility, they had these cages upstairs. looked like they were for gorillas. And I'm like, what is going on up here? And they were the cages that we had a big problem in the back of this property. So don't go out back. Go out front. It's safe out front. If you've ever been up to Halo Farm, like, you know Halo Farm, ice cream, yummy, very good. They got those tacky little fake cows that are out front. The reason why they have the tacky little fake ones is because on two different occasions, the real cows got attacked by these wild dogs that I'm telling you about, and they killed them. So they finally said, yeah, now, see how you feel now. Yeah. <laughs> so it got a little out of control, so they said, just put fake ones that are there. That is what Jesus is talking about when he says, don't give your, to dogs that which is holy. Wild, ravenous uh, scavengers of beasts. So don't think of fluffy at home when you think about it. Now, pigs and swine, as some versions put it, that's always considered unclean in Scripture. So Jesus here, he says, don't give to dogs that which is holy or give your precious pearls to pigs. And the reason is, as he says, is because they will only trample them underfoot and then turn and tear you up. Now the dogs and the pigs here, it represents those that are hostile to the kingdom of God and the message that announces that kingdom. They are those that ridicule and mock the gospel. There are some that are not ready to receive the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of the gospel. There are those that are not prepared to be confronted about an area of sin in their life, like a speck that is in their eyes. And in those instances, wisdom and discernment, to go back to how we began this study, good judgment tells us not to open ourselves up to attack and the gospel to ridicule. Now, of course, we have to ask this question, does this mean that we never share the gospel with an unbeliever for fear of how they will respond? Well, they're an unbeliever. They're probably a dog. They're probably a pig. They're not going to accept this. They're not going to like it. Obviously, I think the answer is, of course, it can't mean that. We have to share with those that are lost. How are they going to know unless a preacher comes and tells them? You're that preacher. And so we have to let them know. But at some point, it becomes clear that the person that you're speaking with is not open to receive the gospel. And instead, then, Jesus directs us to be discerning of that reality and look for others whose hearts are prepared and ready to receive. Do we write this person off? And say, whenever coming back to them, I don't think we do. I hope you don't. We commit that person to pray, the hard-hearted one, that God would begin to soften their hearts. We throw you know, the fishing line into the water again a little bit down the road and see how they respond to that there. But we focus our energy and our efforts on the one that God is drawing to Himself. You know, We have a number of folks from here that they go out on the streets uh, to share the Gospel. They go down to the boardwalk in the summertime to share the Gospel. And not so much folks here, but experience that I've had in instances like that. You go and some, some of the guys that you're with, some of the gals you're with, they take great delight in the fight that I, we got into. Oh, it was awesome. We got into this big fight with these kids there on the beach. And I'm like, why would you want to get into a big fight with those kids there on the beach? Share the gospel. If they're not open to it, say, hey, man, it was good talking to you. Thanks a lot. And then pray that the Lord opens it up an opportunity for someone who is ready to receive here. That's what Jesus is uh, discussing here and that's what he did you know is the example from scripture you remember how jesus ministered 
to the sinful woman from Samaria that he came into contact with. Now here is a woman, clearly the passage says that she wasn't walking in the ways of God, and yet Jesus ministered to her, and Jesus revealed himself to her. You have the instance of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He's another notable sinner. And Jesus essentially says to him, hey buddy, I'm coming to your house today. There's some things I want to talk to you about. Now again, here's a guy certainly not in right standing with God, but Jesus goes and he finds him and he ministers to him and the guy's life is changed. And so Jesus, you have to minister to the unbeliever. If you're going to share the gospel, that's who you got to share it with. But contrast those two examples with Jesus' appearance before Herod. You know the story where Jesus came before Herod. It says that he opened not his mouth. You think of the example of Paul in Acts chapter 13 where it says that he left the company of the unbelieving Jews and, he, and instead he went and he ministered among the Gentiles. And so we have precedent in the Scripture. Find the one whose heart is open and pour out your energy there that they might come to know the Lord. And so we don't cast our pearls before swine. It was during the 1976 presidential election. Jimmy Carter was running for president. He would go on to win. And he gave an interview for some reason. I have no idea why. But he gave an interview to Playboy magazine. And in the interview, they had asked him, and he eventually disclosed, that he had committed, these are his words, that he had committed adultery in his heart many times, referencing Matthew chapter 5, this idea of lust. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Now, I know what Jimmy Carter meant. I've been where Jimmy Carter was, is describing. Playboy magazine did not know what Jimmy Carter meant, and they had a field day with this former farmer from Georgia. It was a terrible idea of the president or the fellow running for president to give an interview to Playboy magazine and for him to bare his heart in the way that he did. We need to be discerning. We need to use wisdom. And we need to make good judgments. And so that's an instance I think that we can look back to. And I'm sure uh, President Carter would look back and say, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Because I shared what the Spirit was doing in my life with a group of people that don't know what the Spirit does in a person's life. And they had a field day with it and mocked me and mocked the Lord. And so again, Matthew 6, 7, 6, do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and attack you. Well, as I said, we're going to celebrate communion today. And we've already considered a number of things, but with the remainder of our time, we want to consider the cross of Jesus Christ. There's an old hymn. It was published by Isaac Watts, and the refrain, the refrain reads this way. It says, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. As we continue to worship in song this morning, we're going to take some time to prepare our hearts. And the communion table is going to serve today, if you will, in your mind's eye, as the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. So are you heavy with guilt? Then come to the cross this morning and let the burden roll away. Are you struggling with a critical spirit and self-righteousness? Then you leave it at the cross. Are you heavy laden? Have you been trying to live the Christian life in your own strength only to discover that you can't? Well, the communion table is a reminder to you, lay that burden down 
at the cross. You know, some of us that are here today have yet to believe in Jesus Christ. We, we believe there was a guy named Jesus. We heard the story. Yes, I believe he went to a cross and all that. But we have yet to come to that place where we have left our sin at the cross, our unrighteousness, and we have taken on ourselves the righteousness of Jesus. We've exchanged our sin for his righteousness. You can do that this morning if you've never done that. You can make that exchange. You can ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You can ask him to give you his righteousness and you can accept his gift of salvation and the cleansing that comes with that as you become an adopted child of God. Let's pray together. Father, now as we come to the foot of the cross, so to speak, Lord, we ask for you to do a searching work within our hearts. Lord, we know the Apostle Paul tells us that anyone that comes to this table should examine themselves. And so, Lord, that's exactly what we want to do. Lord, we want you to search out our hearts. Have we been hypercritical of others? Self-righteous? Comparing ourselves by ourselves? And becoming fools in the process? Lord, have we been burdened with guilt? And feeling it's our duty to hold on to that. To just show you how sorry we are or some but silliness like that, Lord. Lord, have we been trying to run the race of Christ in our own strength? Trying to live out the Beatitudes. Purposing ourselves in a new way to be extra spiritual, extra holy. Only to discover that we fail and we can't do it, Lord. Lord, this morning, no matter where we're at, we want to deal with that at the cross this morning. Lord, we want to take the bread and we want to take the cup. And Lord, as we receive it unto ourselves, we want that to be a statement of faith, an acknowledgement of what was accomplished by your Son as he gave his life on our behalf. The burdens are gone. The stain is cleansed. The striving can cease. Our salvation has been won. So Lord, we invite your spirit to minister to our hearts. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.